and being absolutely blown away by the songs and the singing and the, even the haircuts, the bell bottoms. I was like, damn, this is, this is great shit. I'm Nick Harcourt and welcome to another episode of The Sound of Success, the podcast where we talk with movers, shakers, and just plain cool people about music. Jason Flom is our guest today. He's an impressive leader in both the social justice and music worlds, and he's a criminal justice reform advocate and served as the former chair and CEO of Atlantic Records and Virgin Records. He's also a founding board member of the Innocence Project and the host of the popular and influential Wrongful Conviction podcast, featuring interviews with men and women who have spent decades in prison for crimes they didn't commit. On the music side, Jason is just as impressive and has helped launch the careers of Katy Perry, Lord, Kid Rock, Stone Temple Pilots, Tori Amos, and more. He's also the founder of Lava Records, which he launched as a joint venture with Atlantic in 1995, reclaiming it in 2009. And just a few years ago in 2015, Jason created Lava Music Publishing. Welcome to the Sound of Success, Jason. Jesus, Sound of Success. What, where'd you get that name from? That's fantastic. You know? Thank you. Yeah, we're, we're waiting for somebody to offer us uh, some money for that one for the for the podcast, and we'll happily give it up for the right amount of money. Yeah. <laughs> it's uh, good to see you. You know, just very quickly, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and anybody else who may be listening, uh, Jason and I have uh, bumped into each other through the years, but hadn't done for uh, over a decade until just a couple of weeks ago. And it was quite fortuitous because, well, I wanted to talk to him about some of the work that he's been up to outside of the, the music business. So why don't we start right there? How did you get into this world of criminal justice reform? What was the impetus? Well, Nick, it started in um, 1993 when I read a story in the newspaper about a kid who was serving uh, 15 to life for a nonviolent first offense cocaine possession charge in a maximum security prison in New York State. And in case you thought I just misspoke, I'll say it again. He was serving 15 to life for a nonviolent first offense cocaine possession charge in a maximum security prison in New York State. Mm. And it, this story blew my mind I, without getting into all the details. It just was, it threw all my ideas of what I thought I knew about fairness and equity and justice out the window. And I decided I had to do something about it. And by some miracle, I knew one criminal defense lawyer at the time, a guy named Bob Kalina, because he represented two artists I had signed, Stone Temple Pilots and Skid Row. So I got up, so I had him on speed dial because they were getting arrested every week. You probably remember <laughs> that, right? So the good old I, days. I got Bob to take the case pro bono, even though, you know, he said it was hopeless. He agreed to do it as a favor. And six months later, we ended up in a courtroom in Malone, New York, up by the Canadian border. And I sat holding the kid's mother's hand. Her name was Shirley. His name was Stephen. And uh, last name Lennon, interestingly enough. And the judge banged the gavel down and sent him home. And I just thought, oh, my God, I discovered, I, I, I found out I had a superpower that day. And I was like, this is my calling, right? Music is my job. It's a big part of my life, but this is my calling. What, uh, what was it about winning that victory and, and getting him out and home to his family that gave you the impetus to decide that this was something you really wanted to do with your life, not just as a, a, a one-off? I hate bullying. I just hate freaking bullying. And, you know, I, I hate injustice and I've always wanted to help the helpless. And, you know, I can't think of a more helpless or hopeless situation to be in than to be trapped in our gulag system in America, right? Where you're just one of millions of anonymous people with no one to fight for you and no resources. And 
I thought if I can help tip the scales and back in the right direction, that's what I'm going to do. And you know what? It's amazing. Today, <laughs> I did it again. I mean, today, I helped free a guy. Today, today. Like, today. Today, this day we're speaking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I helped free a guy today. He got on my Instagram live. My Instagram is it's Jason Flom. If anyone wants to follow me, ITS Jason Flom. There was another Jason Flom who got through it before I did. He's a school teacher in Tallahassee. But anyway, um, nice enough guy. But but today, Ralph Castell walked out of prison in Arkansas after serving over 41 years for stealing $265 from a taco stand with a toy water pistol. So he went to prison in 79, I believe. So Unbelievable. Jimmy Carter was president. As he was saying, you know, he was still using telegraphs back then. You know, it's right. like he walked out onto Instagram live with me. He's like, what the hell is going on here? This is amazing. You know, now, so, now, at this point in, in the intervening years, um, you're pretty much considered uh, the leading civilian expert uh, in, in this uh, world now on clemency. And um, you're personally responsible for dozens of, of clemencies, including, I believe, 17 granted by uh, former President Clinton. All of these were nonviolent drug offenders serving between 15 and 85 year mandatory sentences. So where are we at right now? I mean, you've been doing this a while. You're still doing it. And are we still seeing excessive sentences for nonviolent drug offenses? Absolutely. I mean, it's crazy now that pot is legal in, you know, most of the country, right? I mean, I don't know geographically, but most Americans now live in a place where pot is at least partially legal. Mm -hmm. And many live in a place where it's completely legal. Of course, Oregon became this year, thanks to the work of the Drug Policy Alliance on whose board I served, Oregon became the first state in the country to decriminalize all drugs. But the the idea that we still have people serving life in prison, that we still have for, for pot, right? That we still have 40,000 people behind bars while we're speaking right now for pot in America should really be a, you know, a wake up call to everyone that we are doing it exactly wrong still to this day. And it's going to get fixed. I'm going to be fighting till my last breath. And I hope that's going to be quite some time. Unfortunately, it's not going to get fixed tomorrow or next week or next year, but, but the progress is real and we're going to keep the momentum going. Now, when you say 40,000 uh, incarcerated for uh, marijuana possession or convictions, as you mentioned, the, there's a whole bunch of the country now doesn't uh, have those laws anymore. How do you go about addressing that? I mean, that's a lot of people to sort of try and help out. But is there a process? Is there a plan um, to try and get to, to all these people? Yes, there is. And, you know, it's it's sad and crazy that very often in this country, when we change laws, we don't change them retroactively, which. Yeah, you, you would know, think that once you change the law, you let everybody out of jail who had been convicted for that. Right. Well, no, that would that would seem fair, wouldn't that it? Seems you know, like the thing to do. Yeah. You know, it's like that old. Remember that poster when we were kids, Nick, how I think it was Vietnam War era poster that said, um, you know, how would you feel to be the last guy to die in an unjust war? Right. Mm -hmm. And it's uh, something like that. I'm paraphrasing, but it's a similar thing. What would you feel to be the last guy to be locked up after a drug just made was made legal? And you're sitting there going, so yesterday it was illegal and today it's mm -hmm. legal. And I'm sitting here for five years, 25 years, whatever it is like. This is nuts, but it's too often the way we do things here. There's a great organization called The Last Prisoner Project, uh, founded by my friend Steve D'Angelo. Steve is working to get people in the pot business, people who are making millions, even, you know, 
tens of millions more mm. on marijuana to donate 1% of their proceeds to help free everybody who's in jail in America on marijuana charges. And I think that's a very noble cause. You know, I admire what he's doing. I'm glad to be a small part of it. And I hope we can get all of those people home for starters and so many more um, because we need to. Now, you recently wrote uh, an op-ed for Variety. We're going to start tying this work in with your music industry work as well. So you wrote an op-ed for Variety uh, talking about telecom companies which partner with and profit off of the uh, prison industry. I just read the article myself a little earlier on today. I think it was in uh, Variety about a month ago. Um, Basically, what you're saying is that uh, musicians who are sort of accidentally partnering with telecom companies are actually supporting this very strange uh, money-making operation where telecom companies make money off of the prisoners, they make money off of the people who are trying to reach their relatives in prison. Can you explain that uh, a little bit more for us? Oh, that's exactly right, Nick. You know, the there was one artist in particular who recently announced a big thing. He was doing a bunch of, like almost like a contest in prisons with different musical people yes. with musical talents behind bars and things like that. But it was all very sort of icky, you know, because I don't know if that's a technical term, but, but basically what the point I was making is this was done as sort of a smokescreen for, for these telecom companies who are pillaging these families by charging exorbitant rates, rates that I think would shock your listeners of what it costs people to make phone calls from home, to make phone calls from prison to their families, to their loved ones, where you know, in a very real sense, these families are often deciding between paying their electric bill or keeping in touch with their son, father, mother, whatever, who's behind bars, because it's that expensive, right? One phone call could be $15, could be $25. It's like, Mm. and so my point is doing anything to prop up those companies that are profiteering off the caging of human beings, of Americans, is not only inappropriate, it's wrong. It's just wrong. And we need to, as an industry, we need to shun these people and we need to shame these people and we need to divest from these people so that we can use our our cloud, our celebrity, if we have some, and our dollars to say, no more, you can't do that. If somebody's listening right now and they want to get involved in, in helping, what's the easiest uh, way they can do that? Well, first thing I always tell everybody is vote, right? That's the simplest thing. Like vote, vote, and vote. Vote in your local elections, especially, okay? But it's obviously vote in the national elections, but your local DA's races, your local judges' races, your local, you know, prosecutors, whatever they call them, where you live. Be active in your um, community. Yes, because these races can come down to a handful of votes. There was one that ended in a tie, an actual statistical tie. Mm. So when people, you know, you often hear people say, well, my vote doesn't matter. I'm just one person. Yes, it freaking does. And it, and the smaller the town you live in, the more, you know, the more your vote matters. And if you know about an injustice, don't be silent, like be noisy, right? Make noise because we need, and you never know who's going to be listening. And maybe somebody will make a difference. The other thing I tell people is serve on juries, okay? Everybody's had that experience of getting that jury duty notice and your heart sinks and you're like, oh no, I'm so busy. And you are, I'm not saying you're not busy. Everyone's busy, but this should be looked at 
as a, not only a responsibility, but a privilege. And it should be looked at as an opportunity to do good and to do right. And listen to the podcast, right? My podcast, Wrongful Conviction, we're constant, which is available everywhere. It's been downloaded about 30 million times so far. And learn about how the system fails people day in and day out. And then when you get the opportunity to serve on a jury, you'll be woke. If you're not, and listen, your listeners are more woke than 99% of the people out there, I would say, Nick, by and large. But the fact is, they may not be as aware of some of these issues as they probably want to be. And on the podcast, particularly we have one called Wrongful Conviction Junk Science that that really shines a light on a lot of these issues that, that lead to these wrongful convictions, wrongful conviction, false confessions. You know, you'll be shocked to learn that 29% of DNA exonerees in this country who are definitively, scientifically proven to be innocent, confess to the crimes they didn't commit. Mm. So, yeah, so learn about what causes these 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 awful outcomes and then be a part of the solution. So educate yourself, inform yourself and participate locally because, you know, the judges who are, you know, judging people are in many cases elected by the community. So uh, get, get involved. That's, that's a great advice. I started off this conversation by talking a little bit of how I met you, first of all, in the music industry. And we talked a little bit about your work through the years. What a fantastic career, Jason, first of all. Um, let's talk about your musical journey. What's your first musical memory? Mm, wow. My first musical memory. It's funny. I was just thinking about that today because one of the monkeys just died. Peter Nesmith, it was, I think, right? Mike Nesmith. Um, Mike Nesmith. Yeah. My first musical memory would probably be my first musical record. And my first record that I ever owned, my sister bought for me. And it was more of the monkeys. And so I remember listening to that record and being absolutely blown away by the songs and the singing and the, even the haircuts, the bell bottoms, you know, everything. I was like, damn, this is, this is great shit, you know? So oh, I don't know if I'm allowed to curse on this podcast, but so that was probably my first musical memory. Are you, are you allowed to, to curse on your podcast? I am. Okay. Well, you can curse on this one as well. Okay, so good. Perfect. You, you actually answered two questions for me there because first musical memory, the second question is what's the first music you bought with your own money, but was it your own money or your sister's money? That was my sister's money. The first ah. record I bought with my own money yeah. was Meet the Beatles. Um, okay. Or no, it may have been Help. I can't remember. It was one of those two Beatles records. It was either Meet the Beatles or Help. So yeah, it's a pretty great way to start with the Monkees and the Beatles. And it's been uh, an amazing journey ever since. What about live music? What was the first concert you went to without your parents? <laughs> my first concert I ever went to, my friend Cliff Robbins, uh, was promoting a concert by a guy named Johnny Winter at a skating rink in New Jersey. And so I went to see Johnny Winter. I, I don't know, must have been 13 years old or something like that. So that was the very first concert I ever went to. What was the first one you ever went to? Uh, I'm, I'm embarrassed. <laughs> it's Gary Glitter. That's a, not a bad, that's fine. Well, he is a convicted child molester. So, you know, there's a little bit of embarrassment around that. But, yeah, but, but he wasn't then. But he wasn't okay. then, right? I was like 14 or something like that. What was it about live music though? What was it about that event? Can you remember how you felt seeing a, seeing a, a rock and roll band for the first time? I can't remember much about that show. I think I was just more confused than anything else. I grew up in Manhattan, so I went to Madison Square Garden and saw, you know, one genius after another. And I mean that sincerely. There were so many back in those days, the, the glory days. Um, 
I remember going to the garden and seeing maybe the first show I saw at the garden might've been Elton John with Kiki D opening, I think. Um, oh, wow. Well, they did that yeah. song together, didn't they? Back in the seventies, uh, don't go yeah. breaking my heart. Yeah. Don't go breaking my heart. Right. That was great. Yeah. Elton John. Well, he's still doing it. He's, he's got another farewell tour in him. He's still doing it. The guy is unbelievable. And he's doing it. And listen, the guy does it with conviction and he does it. I mean, what an absolute legend. I, I don't know, man. I, it, it sort of saddens me to think that we may never see the likes of Elton John again. We may never see that. And I don't mean to denigrate today's artists in any way, but you know, I wish I could say there was somebody now that we could compare it to him or Sly Stone or Led Zeppelin or, you know, pick one and say, it's just sort of in those days, like I said, it was a genius, at least a genius a week at Madison Square Garden. It was Pink Floyd. It was the Rolling Stones. You know, it was the Who coming through. Mm. It was Stevie Wonder. I used to go see at the garden. You know, I actually, I actually got to see Sly Stone at the garden was unbelievable back in the day, you know? So it was a musical renaissance. Of course, Bob Dylan was kicking around in those mm. days. He still is, but you know, I mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, that, it's, let me ask you a question, because you, you, you referenced the fact that, uh, you know, maybe we won't see an artist like Elton John again. I, I guess what I would pose to you is, are the artists still there and we're just not seeing them because of the visibility and there's just so many different uh, avenues you can go down to find music these days. Whereas 40 years ago, it was pretty much what was served up. I feel like the difference is it was important back then, you know, music's still an important part of everyone's life. It's not communal anymore. It's like we used to get an album and then our friends would come over, you'd go to their house, you'd listen to that album together mm. and you'd smoke some weed and you'd do your thing. Now it's, it's really more of a solo experience, right? You put your earbuds in and you go to the gym, you listen to whatever. And of course there are still shows, but I have this weird thing too, that it's rock and roll was edgy and there was some danger involved, right? And you know, you'd go to smoke filled arenas or clubs that smelled like a mixture of weed and cigarettes and just, you know, it all at, at something was other things. Yeah. That, yes. It was going to go down. Somebody was going to, I'm not saying this is good, but something was going to go sure. down. There was little always excitement, that little danger, little danger. You know what I mean? You know, it, and it extended all the way to the guns and roses era, of course. Right. And, but that's a long time ago. And then of course, hip hop took over and, and the, you know, as the rock stars became everyday people, <laughs> that's a slide quote, but I, meant, I don't mean it that way. I meant they became sort of just like every man. And then the hip hop stars were the real rock stars. And so people naturally gravitated towards them. And also you could see the talent. I mean, the talent has been concentrated in that area, I feel like for a long time, with exception. But the greatest musical talents of the last generation or two have been hip-hop stars. And that's okay. I know one thing. I know that 100 years from now, 500 years from now, people will still listen to Highway 61 Revisited, right? And they'll still listen to the White Album and they'll still listen to Zeppelin IV. And mm. I'm, I'm an Aerosmith fan, true, true blue. I think they'll still listen to Aerosmith Rocks. I don't know how many of the records that are being made today will have any you know, and maybe that doesn't matter. I don't know. I mean, like, but to me, dark side of the moon, right? 
Give me a modern equivalent of Dark Side of the Moon, and I'll give you a ride on the next uh, space shuttle or whatever the hell you want. You know what I mean? But I think there are a lot of factors. I think that the consolidation, radio consolidation, has a lot to do with it. The fact well, that's that the world that I know well, yeah, yeah. I think it's the corporate, the corporate takeover of radio, the onset of call out research, which probably sounds like a gobbledygook to a lot of listeners, but. Um, the fact that local programmers like yourself who discovered, I mean, you, Nick, who discovered and championed so many artists, so many great young artists that other stations wouldn't touch. Right. And that spirit, it really doesn't exist except maybe in a few places anymore in radio and radio has become almost obsolete as a result, as partially as a result of that. It, it pains me to say it, but yes, radio has definitely changed a lot. And obviously having had a career in, in, in radio, it does pain me, but the world changes. Things change. Back in the day, it was all singles back in the fifties and sixties. And then we got albums and then the industry got bloated and then hip hop came along and blew everything up. And, you know, everything just keeps kind of moving and, and changing and evolving, I guess. But what I wanted to get back to is I want to talk to you about dancing. Do you dance? Hmm. And, and, and what do you listen to when you want to dance? Oh, I only dance uh, under threat, you know, maybe once a year I get, you know, coaxed into dancing. <laughs> once a so, year? Yeah. It's not like I dance around in the, is, in there, the, a is there a special day like June no, 14th? No, 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 no. It just seems like that's about how often it occurs. I might be exaggerating too, but, um, no, I'm not a, uh, I'm not, not I don't a consider myself a great dancer. No, no, no. But All I, right. um, what, what, what about if you're feeling a little melancholy or a little, little sad? What do you, do you listen to something that might keep you there and make you, you know, feel it or do you listen to something to get out of that feeling my comfort food is really classic rock as you could tell from the earlier part of this conversation i could turn on um anything from you know white stripes will, will pick me up out of anything pretty much you know or i can turn on some prince or some bob dylan i'm always happy to hear queen come on the radio you know you talk about the geniuses of yesteryear i guess a song that comes to mind that always picks me up as young Americans just because I sit there and I listen to it and I marvel. I just sit oh, there and yeah. I just sit there and, and every word and every note and I just go, Jesus Christ, it's good to live in a world where there's this type of genius. Well, out, how, out. Lucky, how lucky to, to live in a world where, where David Bowie was, exactly. Yeah, um, I saw him. I'm trying to remember where I saw him. I think I saw him at the garden once, but um, but yeah, it was amazing about then. Jethro Tull. I mean, there's so many that you could just uh you know, I saw Queen at the garden. I saw oh my lucky god, you. it's just yeah, it was really a just a breathtaking time to be alive and and in a position to be able to attend those. I went to the two of the Zeppelin shows on the Summer Maze the same tour. I snuck oh, into this I went to the, I tickets to the second one. And then for some reason they didn't rip my tickets. So I changed the two to a six and, and you I went, went back to the, the sixth next show. Yeah. Four days the, later. Yeah. They, it just, it was very sloppy, but somehow or other, the guy didn't care. And, and I went and, you know, it wasn't like today where you scan it, you have a barcode, but the feeling today. Feels I'm jealous, very, man. I'm, I have to say, I'm jealous. You got to see Led Zeppelin. I think I was, you know, in trouble somewhere when I was like 14 or 15 and wasn't allowed to go, but you got to see Zeppelin, not just once, but a couple of times at the garden. Yeah. Twice on that tour. And it was yeah. just as good as you can imagine it being. I still remember they came on, I think it was an hour and 20 minutes late. Cause it was an evening with Led Zeppelin. There was no opener and mm. they came on very late and there was this buildup. And they came out and they hit that first note from Song Remains the Same. Bing! Right? And it was just like, Where you go. And it was the rest is history, as they say. So, yeah. 
Do you, do you have a, a favorite music video? We sort of went through that time, I guess the eighties through into the, the nineties with, with MTV and a whole different way for people to d discover music. You were smack in the middle of the music industry. Do you, do you have a favorite music video? Wow. What a great question. No one's ever asked me that. Um, wow. Jesus. I mean, the, the, I almost feel like if you went on family feud where they used to have these questions and you know you pick the most popular choice among the audience so i'm going right. to sound pretty lowbrow when i say this but probably immediately came to mind just free association or sledgehammer peter gabriel and of course thriller michael jackson i mean you can't you can still watch that and go how was Super this even amazing. possible groundbreaking how videos possible yeah. it yeah. just and it's great to know the story behind how it was made and everything else I mean, it's just so absolutely magically ridiculous but then you know one of the videos fun, funny enough and again these are just the ones that popped in my head one from my own uh history that i thought and still is great and i watched it not too long ago is tori amos's breakthrough video silent all these years totally opposite from those other ones right it was made for i think eighteen thousand dollars but still had just such pure you know power when you stare in her face and it's interesting because all those years later i was lucky to sign lord and the video had a certain amount of that quality as well. It was that full on face shot where she's just staring daggers through you. Mm -hmm. Right. And obviously Royals and Silent All These Years, completely different songs. But that same feeling, you, you know, I got when she just looks and you just go, oh, my gosh, laser beaming right into my soul, you know. And, it's and, like and as you said, for the money spent to make that that video, I mean, you know, the labels were spending half a million dollars no problem on on, on videos at that time that one was eighteen thousand. and i don't know if you've heard this but tori's got a fabulous new record i, I gotta check yep. it out it's amazing a couple of weeks yeah. ago yeah oh my god is it is it what kind of music is it because she's done classical music it's kind of going kind of going back to what she was doing 25 years ago i think you'll i think you'll enjoy it she's really had an amazing impact on a lot of the artists that i love and some of the ones i think that, that you know i haven't had this conversation with them but you know it's it's interesting for me because I signed, you know, Haley Williams, um, obviously very different again than Tori, but um, Lord and even some other fantastic artists, I think that probably were touched in some way by Tori's music, Regina Spector, yeah. Fiona Apple. Um, I mean, they H were going to be hugely influential on a whole generation of uh, female songwriters uh, in, in particular, as, as you mentioned. Let me, let me ask you about Discovery. That's something that you and I are both known for, you with signing artists and me with putting them on the radio. So do you have a, a recent musical discovery that you'd like to share with our listeners? And it doesn't have to be a new artist. It can be somebody who's been kicking around for years and you just found them accidentally going down a rabbit hole on Spotify or something. Um, pretty obsessed with an artist called Some Girl Named Anna. And this is self-serving because I did sign her and I, I really, really believe in her talents. It's all one word, Some Girl Named Anna. Mm -hmm. She has uh, just a couple of songs out on Spotify. We're getting ready to launch her for real in the new year on a uh, partnership, my first partnership with Island Records, um, which of course is part of Republic. And super, super excited about her talent. It's all one word. Like I said, some girl named Anna, I even love the name. I think it's super clever. It's sort of an old soul uh, again. And that's, oh, that's the artist I was trying to think of where the Tory, the Tory connection comes all the way through to right up to the present day. And she's an interesting artist. She grew up in Webster, Minnesota with uh, basically almost no internet. I, they were allowed one hour a day of TV, no phones. 
Uh, mother was an artist, father was a pilot. And so she painted and she wrote songs and she did all this. It's an interesting way to raise a kid these days. Her brother became a marine biologist, but she is um, an old world talent. And we're going to find out whether the uh, new world is going to be accepting. I, I, listen, uh, you know, uh, with people like you behind her, who knows? And we, we'll see. I mean, we'll see if you share my, my yeah. vision for her. Yeah, well, as yeah. you're talking to me, obviously, this is the, the the beauty of the modern world. Like we're having a conversation, and as we're speaking, I've already got her up on uh, on Instagram and on Twitter, and I'm looking at the songs. I see this one called California. Uh, somebody who's on the rise. So I will definitely be taking a look at that, and I'm sure our listeners will be as well. Do you have a band or an artist that you love, but you think they never quite got the break that they deserved or that you thought they were going to have? I mean, I'm sure in your years of signing people, there's been one or two that slipped through the uh, through the cracks, but is there anybody in particular that you would say, you know, they didn't quite get what they should have got out of this business? Yeah, I had it. Obviously, I had a few of those over the years where I just thought this, these are destined for greatness and they just never connected and I could never, ever figure out why. It's funny, there was one called Spy. Uh, this is many years ago, just spy like it sounds. They had a song called Baby that was, I thought, fantastic. He's gone on to become a very successful composer, actually, three-time Oscar-nominated composer. His name is Jay Ralph. But Spy, the song was Baby. That was a great video, too. That was a really fun one that I loved. Um, there was one called, what was the song? It was called Pictures of You. That one was so great, and that was by who the hell? We almost broke them. It really looked like they were going to go. And then they didn't for reasons I don't necessarily understand. Um, timing, right? I mean, isn't it just timing at the end of the day, right place, right time? There's a lot of luck involved. It, it's really true. There's a lot of luck involved in these things. And it's always a miracle when something does come through. It's funny because there's a, there's a website called Forgotify.com. And, you know, Forgotify is a site where you can listen to artists that have never been listened to, right? These are artists who have zero plays on Spotify. Forgotify, and I've never heard of that. Hilarious, right? And so it's really clever. So, you know, 60,000 songs a day come out now. 60,000 songs a day. Like what? Are released in the into the digital realm. Yeah. So when one breaks through, it really is a miracle. And I'm thinking back to the capital days, you know, we had an artist named Faraz. He's gone on to become a very successful songwriter. He was a beautiful artist, fantastic artist. Um, you know, there's an artist now on Warner Brothers. I have nothing to do with this artist. I wish I did, but there's an artist named Jake Wesley Rogers, who I think is an absolutely, he's one of those ones where, and I told him this, when I went and saw him recently at the Troubadour, I went backstage after and I said to him, you know what, I got, I got the type of feeling watching you on stage that I used to get when I would go see, you know, Jesus, I saw a prince at the bottom line. You know, I mean, I, I don't want to look, that's a, he's a deity. So I don't want to, you know, I mean, and that no, show was quite a compliment. Yeah. But this, this is, this is a guy that people should keep an eye on Jake Wesley Rogers. Like, like I said, I don't, I have no professional relationship with him. I wish I did. Uh, but he is a magnificent talent. Absolutely brilliant. Do you have an artist or a band who is a guilty pleasure? And I, and this is such a weird question. The more I ask it, the, the more weird I find it. Because the idea behind this question is it's somebody that nobody knows that you like, right? Somebody who's like a guilty pleasure. But we're going to ask you to tell us, do you have 
a guilty pleasure, somebody that perhaps you wouldn't ordinarily share with people like, yeah, well, yeah, I like that. I, I mean, again, you, you have a funny way of pulling out like this free association with me. I guess that's why you've been you for a long time. So I shouldn't be surprised, but um, <laughs> I'm going to say George Michael. I mean, I, I, I love me some George Michael every once in a while. I you know? love George Michael. That is a great, great answer. And uh, of course, uh, you and I are actually recording this just a couple of weeks before Christmas and we're coming up on the anniversary of his passing, I think four or five years ago, actually on, uh, on Christmas day. Well, listen, it has been a great uh, hang, but uh, we've just spent 40 minutes talking about um, criminal justice reform and music. Um, and I just always like to finish up our conversations on the sound of success with this question, which is how are you feeling right now in this moment? Oh, at this moment, I'm feeling great. You know, look, I think, Nick, that the, the meaning of life is found in being present. Um, and the more present you can be when you are and the more often you can be that way, then the better your life is. I find that I get that feeling from helping people. My particular path is helping people who are in prison that shouldn't be, which is the overwhelming majority of our prison population. So I've had a great day to be of service in that way today. Uh, I love talking to you because you're one of the best interviewers I've ever talked to. And, uh, um, you know, and all, and all, no, and also in all seriousness, I mean, you are revered in the music industry. Your imprimatur on a record uh, has meant so much throughout the years. And so to me, um, I, I literally, you know, used to KCRW, when you were there, having that stamp could be, not only could be the difference between success and failure, but it also, it also meant something on a, on sort of a deeper level to know that, that the music that, you know, someone in my position was able to help put out to the market was being given that platform was a meaningful thing. So anyway, so yeah, I'm having a, uh, more fun than I could have anticipated talking to you. And so I feel, I feel fucking great right now. Nice. And... Well, you are way, you, you are way too kind with the compliments there. I appreciate it. I, I appreciate the fact that you and I just sort of literally reconnected in, in LA like two weeks ago after probably a dozen years. And here we are two weeks later talking about things that are very important to you uh, and to me, obviously, but uh, criminal justice reform, wrongful conviction podcast. Uh, Jason Flom, you've been our guest on The Sound of Success, and I'm so grateful to have spent uh, a little bit of time talking to you. Thank you. Thank you. Check out the podcast, Wrongful Conviction. If you like podcasts, you'll like this. And if not, I'll give you your money back. Wait, I can't say that. <laughs> <laughs> Again, it's free. <laughs> I do want to do it. Just want to sort of throw it back for a moment as well to, to folks. Who, I think you said something about if somebody could come up with a, another dark side of the moon, you'd give them a, a, a flight into space or something like that. So any young bands get to work now and get your dark side of the moon ready. Please. We'd love it. Thanks, Jason. See you there. Thanks. Thanks for listening. The Sound of Success is produced by Elizabeth Thompson with myself, Nick Harcourt, for Spark Network. Our theme music is by Keita Klein. For more episodes, find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and at sparknetwork.com. <laughs> <laughs>